<laughs> so, they say, thank you and go on. <laughs> so that's very nice. <laughs> the restaurants that we've been eating in, wonderful. We've been staying down here at the Ashland Motel. Such a wonderful man, a wonderful person. And they've been just as good as if I was his own son, a Christian, a believer. And there's just so many things. And where Dr. Vail, he was, they even cut his rent or something there for him in the motel. I don't remember where it was he stayed. Just before you cross the tracks down here, coming in on 11. You've been so nice, we sure appreciate this. Now, as I understand that the debts was all paid, and then you did that, that's all we require. Now, but they say they've taken up a love offering for me tonight. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I've been in the ministry 27 years and never took an offering in my life. Never did take an offering. I remember one time when I was pastoring the Baptist Tabernacle at Jeffersonville. It's during the time of the kind of hard times, you know, and, you know, we're just poor people and stuff like all of us. And I, I got a place where I couldn't make the ends meet. Did you ever get in that shape? We all have, haven't we? And I said to my wife, I said, I'm going over and take up an offering. We didn't even have an offering place. And when we built the church, we put a little sign, a little box in the back that said, In so much as you have done unto least for these, my little ones, you have done it unto me. It was paid for like that. And I, now, the people would give me offering, but I, I was young and able to work, and so I, I worked six days a week, working labor. And I said, I just can't make the ends meet this time, my old bill. I said, I'm going over and ask for for offering tonight. She said, I'm going over and watch you do it. <laughs> I said, all right, just lived across from the church. Two little rooms. I think her rent was about $6 a month. That's awful high, then. So we, uh, just a little cabin. So we went across, and I said, folks, I tell you, I don't want to do this. But I said, I got to a place some debts that I, I promised someone that I would pay them on our, we owe nearly $90 on our furniture and a few things, and I said, our grocery bill's a little bit back, I'm only making about 37 cents an hour, and I said, wonder if I could you just uh, pass my hat tonight, and you just, if you got a few nickels, if you'd help me along, appreciate it. No Uncle Jim Weisheart never forgave. He got up with a big smile as one of the deacons and went and got my hat. I looked sitting right in front of me, and a little old woman sitting there, sweetest little old thing, she's in glory tonight. She used to wear these little aprons with the pocket on the inside, you know, you put your hand under the apron to hit the pocket, I don't know, and she's just a real little saint, her name is Mrs. Weber, and I seen her reach under this old apron, when I was preaching, she just sat with her head bowed and prayed for me, a real sainted woman. And she reached under there and got one of them little pocketbooks that she unsnapped from the top, began to finger them little fumbles down in there to get them nickels out. I tell you, I couldn't do it. I said, oh, I was just teasing you all to see what you would do. I said, I didn't mean that. I said, I didn't mean that. Oh, my heart was crying on the inside of me to think that I'd take the nickels from that poor little old woman. And an old brother used to come down. Gene, you remember him? Old brother Ryan had long hair. He'd come from Benton Harbor, and he'd put a Bible under his arm, he'd ride his bicycle down, and you can imagine what a sight that was. That hair blowing behind him riding his bicycle. So he gave me the old bicycle, it backslid on him, and 
Isn't that some word for a Baptist to say? <laughs> but it did. It just came out. That was all. So I patched up the tires and went out to the 10 cent store and got me two different colors of paint. And I painted it for 20 cents and sold it for $5 and paid off the debt. So I didn't have to take up the offering at all. That was my first experience with an offering. So I wish I didn't have to take it, friends. My expenses are very little. I don't have any radio broadcast. I don't have anything to take up any money but just my little office work. And my expenses at my office and home runs me about the average of $100 a day. That's the reason I can go places in small groups. What do you think Oral Roberts runs a day? It was the last I heard of about seven to 8000 a day. Billy Grimm's is so many thousand a minute when he's on his broadcast. Now, Oral Roberts would like to come to some of these little places and hold revival. Oral Roberts is a real good brother. He's a fine man. I remember Oral, when we first met, he had a little ragged tent sitting over in, in Kansas City, Missouri. I had a big auditorium over on the other side, and Oral come sit on the sideline that night, just the boy preachers, and we got our pictures together out in the yard. He said, do you think God would hear my prayer for the sick brother Brandon? I said, he'll hear any prayer. He said, here I go. Now, I sat on his sideline. <laughs> But you see, God knew that I didn't have the intelligence to take care of a program like that. Oh my, television and everything else, I, I couldn't stand it. If I had to you know, go out and take up money and, and if that much responsibility, I'd go wild. <laughs> so I just couldn't do it. And then he'd like to come to little places, but I just held a revival in a place that held 20 people. That's right. But to see him not out much expense. Now, the way I do it, I just wait on the Lord, and if he tells me to go to a place that's got 20 people, I'm not under no obligation to the world or to the radio or anything, so I couldn't go. And so I just go over revival. If it's a, you know, gravel switch or where is that, it's all right. And then if he wants me to go to Africa, India, or something like that, and preach to a half a million, he always has somebody to pay the expenses. <laughs> I just sit back and do what he tells me to do. Get along fine. So I, I, I like that. I, I, God knows I didn't have the intelligence that Oral Roberts and God. The Oral Roberts is a college graduate, four years of psychology. So you can tell he's a smart man. And I'm not smart enough for that, but I knew it. <laughs> so somebody was trying to give me a, a some, well, I, it was a four square church. And bless their hearts, they're wonderful people. And they were going to give me a, a degree out there uh, of a doctor's degree. <laughs> I said, brother, I'm too smart for that. <laughs> I said, you know people got better sense than to know that a man that had a, a doctor's degree isn't going to stand up with some of that old slow southern talk like me and say, he isn't Hanks and Tote and Sex and Terry. And he was <laughs> I said, you know better than that. I just, I said, I'm glad I got enough intelligence to know better than to do that. I said, that wouldn't make me preach any better anyhow. I'm what makes the works of God go on. I appreciate it. But I just rather stay Billy Brandon. <laughs> just like that. That's the way he made me. Now, nothing against those degrees. That's wonderful. But they were for men who got intelligence. That's <laughs> like one man who knows what the grammar good anyhow. So, we just love the people. 
I live a very simple, humble life. I just talked to my little boy, Joseph. Oh, my. He's quite a boy. You know, I, how many ever remembered then in my meeting that I saw a vision of him coming six years before he got here, told the people about it, and his name would be Joseph. Doctors said she can't have another baby. I said, yes, she can. So the next one comes. <laughs> it was a girl. So then did I get a razzing. Ministers wrote me letters from everywhere and said, you met Josephine, but then. <laughs> I said, no, I met Joseph. The doctor said, she can never have another child. I said, oh, yes, she can. You'll have one more anyhow. So when she got, we know four years later that she was going to be mother again and poor little thing. I went up to the to the, my place and was praying for her. I come back and she didn't know how things were going to go. And I said, honey, don't worry. The Lord just said it. Just say it the Lord. Everything's running just right. So she went in and you know how the waiting fathers walk all the paint off the floor. We were waiting, and I was wondering what was happening. The nurse come down, and she said, Reverend Branham? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you got a fine seven-pound, three-ounce boy. I said, Joseph, you've been a long time getting here, but Daddy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> you said you called him Joseph. I said, that's his name. So then, you know, when he was little, just a little baby, he had a little sister four years old and one eight, Sarah and Rebecca. And they used to love to bite him, to make him cry, just to show he didn't have any teeth, you know, just his gums. They thought that was something. He didn't have any teeth. Just his gums showing. But he caught on to that. I tell you, he comes to the house now, he's just about as high as he is wide. Girls getting chairs under the bed or anywhere. He knows how to bite too. So <laughs> he makes other gums shine now. I talked to him a while ago. He said, Come home, Daddy. I'm digging some worms. We go fishing. <laughs> uh, we won't have time to go, but we can talk about it. <laughs> That's all uh, just to talk about it and beam up my arms and love him a little. Children mean so much. I think they're so sweet. Amen. They're just real. Little Joseph and Sarah and Rebecca mean so much to me. He came to us in our old age, I'm 48 years old, and a boy too. If any praises be given to the Branham family, give it to the Queen, Miss Branham, my wife. 38 years old, gray-headed, standing between me and the public, one of the sweetest women that ever lived. So she's the one to get the credit. If anybody stands on that phone when I've seen them rain long distance, 64 calls an hour, day and night. And she has to brace all of that. So that lovely little boy, she heard on the phone when he called up down there, that's the queen of the Branham family and the queen of my heart. God bless her. I love a good family. Don't you appreciate your good old family? That's what I think about God. When I go away, I don't, I think between law and grace. We're not under law. We got grace. I'm so thankful for it. When I get ready to go overseas, I don't say, now, Miss Branham, I'm going to tell you something. Thou shalt not have any other husband but me while I'm gone. And she don't get back and say, Look here, young man, thou shalt have no other wives but me either. Now, wouldn't that be home? We just pray. I ask God to bless them and help them. She asked God to help me. I kissed her goodbye and said, Bye, sweetheart. That settles it. 
no matter where it's at, I love her above everything there is on earth in that way. As long as I love her like that, she loves me the way I do, we'll be true to one another. And as long as you love the Lord Jesus, it don't make a difference how many Sabbaths or meetings or whatever you have to do. You just love the Lord. That'll take care of the rest of it. If you love the Lord, it'll take care of it. The Lord bless you. I didn't mean to stand here and tell you my personal history, but I just want you to know that we just live common folks like you all are. And we're one together, and I'm here as your brother. And I hope someday, if the Lord willing, and you all be pleased, and it be in the will of the Lord, I'd like to come one of these places around here and set up a tent and stay about six weeks so we can just take ministerial meetings and everything. Thank you. I'd like to have an afternoon meeting just on instructing man, and if not, just in a way of spiritual things that I understand. Theology, I'm not a teacher. But in instructing brethren and tell them how to enter into this spirit, more spiritual way. And then each night, and just stay a long time, just about time to get acquainted, then you have to say goodbye. Right. That makes it bad. See? I hate to do that. I'm just beginning to know you well now. And then we have to say goodbye. But there'll be one time, friends, if we never meet again this side of the river, when the wedding supper is set, and we look across the table at one another, I say, see, Mike, I ought to see you. I ought to know you. Yes, I was in the Harrisonburg meeting. You know, a little tear run down her cheek for joy. Then the king will come out in all of his beauty, wipe the tears from her eyes, say, don't cry, it's all over now. I'm looking for that day. God bless you, Uncle Dan. Before we read the word, let us pray. Blessed Lord, oh, how we want to thank you for this great meeting. How sitting out there in the car waiting to hear only believe and people driving up and turning away and even weeping because they couldn't get in. Oh, God bless their hearts richly. Grant it, Lord, those poor sick that couldn't get in, heal every one of them. Thou art God, and I offer this petition in their behalf. Bless this fine bunch of ministers, Lord, and their denomination and their organizations. And those who do not have organizations. And we feel, Lord God, regardless of our denomination, we are brothers. We are all one in thy Son, Jesus. And we pray that you'll bless all the laity, every member of these churches. God grant that an old-fashioned revival will break out now through this country and just sweep tens of thousands of people into the kingdom. Do, Father. May the words that I spoke the other night be true. After I'm gone, cripples will get up and walk. Blind will see. Diseases, they'll find out that they're well. For we've asked these things, and Lord, with all my heart, I believe them, and they had to. And thou said in thy words, if you'll say to this mountain, be moved, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you have said is being done, then you can have what you say. Being done, this mountain, be moved. Maybe just one little grain of sand dropped when we said for it to move, but it's on its way. Maybe tomorrow's spoonful drops, but it's still on its way. It's never noticeable. Tons may fall and still not noticeable, but one day it shall be flat because we have said it. Jesus gave the promise. 
The crippled man may not even be able to move his foot, but he's always rolled out. He has to believe it. The sick may not feel any difference, but we've said it, Lord. It's your word. You'll honor it. It'll not return to you, boys. It'll accomplish that which it was purposed for. Grant, Lord, it'll all be well. We pray that you'll let us meet again. Thank you for putting upon these dear people's hearts to give this offering to your service tonight. God, I'm not worthy of it, but I pray that you'll let me spend every penny to your glory. Grant it, Lord. And listen, give it to them back double. And put it on their home in glory, too, when they get there. Heal the sick tonight. Speak to us through the word. Now, we've got the Bible pages turned back, but only one can interpret. That's the one who wrote it, the Holy Spirit. Be near us now, Father. Give us a great climax in the service tonight. May every fear and every dread, every nervousness, everything be away from the human mind just now. That your spirit be coming here and give us the greatest climax that we've ever had in any meeting. Grant it, Lord. We ask it not for our glory, but for the glory of God and for his church. In the name of his Son, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Now, in the blessed word, I wish to read just a small portion tonight. And you read the whole chapter. I'm going to turn to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John on the Isle of Patmos, 896. In the third chapter, in the 20th verse, I wish to read just for a short time so that we can get on to the prayer line in good time. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Isn't that a marvelous invitation? If we would just wave at what it means. I stand at the door and knock. 21st, he was speaking to this church age, the Laodicean church age. He said, you say that you are rich and have need of nothing, but says you don't know, you don't know that you are poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked, and don't know it. Think of that. Did you know we got... The Christian church has its greatest buildings it's ever had. You know it's richer than it ever was. Do you know that they got the best theologians they've ever had? It's standing in its great spires reaching towards heaven with the half a million dollar pipe organ, its robe choirs, it's scholars, some polished up from the seminary to the very latest docs who can walk to the platform and not make one grammatic mistake, who can limit their sermons to so much time with so much psychology in it that can hold the people's minds to that thought that they got. But yet the Bible said that we are poor and we are wretched. 
and we're blind and naked and don't know it. Now, if a man was out on the street, could you imagine a person going down the street, poor, miserable, blind, wretched, and naked? Now, if the man knows his condition, he will try to better himself. But the sad part is when he don't know it. He doesn't understand that he's naked. He thinks he's rich and he, he's dressed all right and he's his best condition. Now, that's the way Jesus describes this church in this day, the latter days. I don't mean just this group. I mean, I'm talking universally, the church. Universal. It is in one of the most miserable conditions. And it doesn't know it. They think we're faring all right. We're doing good. Why, this year we, we paid so much for missionaries overseas. I don't mean to be like, I'm a missionary myself. But the miserable part is when some old mammy washes over a washboard to help support a missionary on the field, and when he get over there to find him riding around in an air-conditioned Cadillac and preaching at a compound. I wonder how many David Livingstons I'd find. Frankly, I've only seen one what I call a missionary, a little cripple boy from Rhodesia. One of the greatest churches that I know of in the Protestant realm. I was coming down out of, of southern Rhodesia, and I've been up there in a meeting. And I've seen that American passport. There's three little girls and a boy. And I said, I see that you've got American passports. He turned and said, Oh, you speak English? I said, I'm an American. I said, what are you? He said, oh, we're a missionary. I said, that's fine. And I said, where are you from? And they was from my backyard almost, where the great seminary then. And I said, that's good. I said, I'm from Jeffersonville, Indiana. Oh, he said, you are. I said, how long have you been over? He said, going on two years. And I said, how many souls have you won to Christ since you've been over? Ducked his head. I said, sisters, how many have you won to Christ since you've been over? But just before I did that, he said, what's your name? I said, Branham. Oh, he said, you're the one that caused that big stir down in Africa down there, down in South Africa. I said, I don't know if there's any stir or not. He said, well, we heard that you was a holy roller. I said, 30,000 raw heathens come to Christ day before yesterday. I said, that's more than all of our churches have done in their missionary in 150 years over there. And I found missionary, or natives coming in with a tag on their neck as missionaries, as Christians, packing an idol in their arms. And I said to Sidney Smith, the mayor of Durban, who was taking me out to the race course, the Hollywood Park race course, where some 150, 200,000 had gathered. And I said, Mr. Smith, what does that tag mean on their neck? said, they're Christians. I said, and packing idols? He said, well, Mr. Branham, I can talk his language. Some guy said, just, just ask him, talk to him. He pulled his car over the side of the street. And I said, how do you do, John? And he spoke back in his language. And I said, what, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. And I said, what you doing with that idol? Oh, he said, my papa carried it. And he said, I said, don't you believe in God? Oh, I believe in Amalia. Amalia is a 
a word they use means the unseen force like the wind. I believe in them all, yeah? I said, but what about the idol? He said, well, you see, he said, one day the lion got after my father, and he set it down, this idol, built up a little far, and said the prayer the witch doctor told him, and the lion ran away. Now, if Amalia fails, this won't. Now, that's the strength of Christianity in South Africa by the missionaries. I said, I am a Yachtamese yak- uh, hunter. I hunt lions. And that idol did not run that line away. The fire run the line away. There's nothing in that idol. Oh, well, he's packing anyhow. But that afternoon, when they seen a man with a chain around his neck, not even mentally right, brought to the platform, and the Holy Spirit telling who he was, where he come from, what his mother and father was, told his brother was on crutches, and he is healed, sitting right back like that. And here come the boy, the crutches over his head. He'd been riding on a yellow goat, and it hurt his eight years before. Then I saw a vision of this man, and I said, in Christ's name, stand up. He couldn't understand. He thought he wanted to do a dance. And he was down there, no clothes on. Oh, my. It was a terrible looking sight. with a chain around his neck. Leading like a dog, walking on his feet and hands. I walked over to the poor man, tucked him by the chain and raised him up. This is witnessed before about 150,000 people. And there, when he stood up, after everybody said if he would be healed, they would receive Christ. And he stood up in his right mind and the tears dropping off of his back belly and received Christ as his Savior and 30,000 raw heathens threw their idol on the ground and broke it and received Christ. Not long ago in a Kiwanis meeting where I was talking in the presence of Dr. Davis who ordained me in the Missionary Baptist Church and told me I was going to become a holy roller. And I said, Dr. Davis, what you call holy roller? I said, what you call fanaticism? One more soul to Christ in five minutes' time and all of your theology and practicing that you've had in the past 150 years. Naked, miserable, blind, and don't know it. Oh, it's pitiful. I said to that little boy and girl, I said, you ought to be back home washing your mammy's dishes, taking care of the baby. That's exactly right. Go down there and go down to the compound and say a few words to them natives when they have a dance and pass out some tracks. What does a poor ignorant native know about a track when they don't even know which is right and left hand? We've miserably failed God. Why? It's because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He never did say go into all the world and build churches. He never did say go build schools. He never did say go build seminaries. He said, preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow them that believe. We failed. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I'll come into him and sup with him, and he with me. What could it be when a man is knocking on a door? What's he trying to do at knocking at the door? He's trying to gain entrance. He's trying to get in. He has a message for you. He has some business to talk with you. And that knock has come a great man down through the ages. What if the great Caesar, Caesar Augustus, would have went down to a peasant's house in Rome and have knocked on the door? That peasant would have opened the door and seen the great mighty Caesar 
honoring him, to have come to his door. Oh, he would have said, Great Caesar, come in, welcome to my house. Anything in here that you want is yours. Or what if the late Adolf Hitler, the fear of Germany, would have went down to a foot soldier's house and knocked at the door. And that little soldier, as we would say, little rookie, would have went to the door and opened it, and there stood the fear of Germany. He would have stood at attention and give the German salute. And it said, great fear, you paid me honor to come to my house. Oh, enter into my humble house, great fear of Germany. Anything that your servant has that you want, you can have it. When you're welcome, that's where you're invited in. If I come to your house, and you said, Welcome in, Brother Branham. I feel like going in. If I want to take off my shoes and lay down across the bed, I'd do it. If I want to go to the icebox and make me a sandwich, I'd go do it. If you welcome in, I feel like I'm one of you. I'm welcome. Sure. And then, what an honor. You see what it does? It's not, who knock, it's not the knock that does it. It's who's a knocking. It's the importance of the person that's doing the knocking. What if tonight, if the great president of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower, what if he come to Harrisonburg and went to the house of the best Democrat there is in the city? You'd feel honored to have him. Though you disagree with him on politics, but yet to have the honor of Dwight Eisenhower at your door, it would be an honor to any good Democrat. Certainly, because it's the President of the United States. He's an important man. Or the Queen of England just visit this nation. What if the queen were to come down to your house, sister, and she'd have knocked on the door, and you'd have opened the door and say, Who are you? She'd say, I am the queen of England. Though she, you're not her subject. Though she has nothing to do with you. But she's an important one. She's the greatest earthly queen on earth. And anyone would feel honored while the newspapers would pack it everywhere. The television would show it that the Queen of England humble herself to come down and knock on the door of some poor person's house. What would you say to her? Oh, Queen, enter in. And if anything she desired, she could have it. Though you had something very valuable. That you thought a little trinket or something, and yet it was a, a family thing that's been handed down. Yet, if she asked for it, you'd give it to her because she's the queen, and it will be a great honor for you to do so because she's an important woman and would come to my house or your house. 
But oh, who's more important than Jesus? And who's more turned away than Jesus? That queen might want something. Hitler might want something. The white Eisenhower might want something of you. But Jesus wants to give you the best thing he could be given to you. And yet there's nobody turned away from doors any more than Jesus Christ that knocked at the heart's door. He's turned away. And yet if you shut the door in the queen's face, or if the Hitler's little soldier would have slammed the door in his face, Hitler would have had him executed. The queen would have blasphemed you. Eisenhower, it had been wrote up in the paper that you turned down Dwight Eisenhower. Oh, what a disgrace it would have been. But yet Jesus knocks at the door and people think they do something smart but turn him away. It's the greatest mistake that any person ever made is to turn the lovely Jesus from the door. That's the most important person in all eternity that could knock at your door. If Eisenhower got into your house, he could only ask you a question or, or something like that. But if Jesus comes in, he comes to bring you eternal life and save your soul. Or to bring some good thing to you. But yet he's turned away. But now you'll say to me, wait just a minute, Brother Branham. I let Jesus into my heart many years ago. Well, that's good. I'm glad you did. But, you know, when you get in, Jesus gets into the heart, that's the first door. But then you've got a whole lot more little doors all in your house, in your heart. Just a little secret closet here and there in the little room here. Say, now, you can come in, but don't you dare open that door. Don't you go to this one. But you can stand right here. Would you feel very welcome? That's the way with some of you church members. You just let him come in. Oh, you want him to be your Savior. But he wants to be your Lord. Lord is rulership. He wants to be your ruler. Not just your Savior only. You want him as a Savior, but what about being your Lord? That will control you. Control your emotions. Control your thinking. Control your every fiber of you. That you could say like a man years ago who amen. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Let him in in that way. To be ruler and Lord over you. Now let's look into this heart of ours just a little. You know, when Jesus comes in, there's a little door you turn to your right in the human heart. And that's the little door that they don't want nobody fooling with. That's the door of your own private life. Now, Lord, you can save me from going to hell, but don't you fool with my private life. I just 
just won't stand for that. Now, I'm going to, I belong to a card party down here where they play cards every Wednesday afternoon. And that's my own little clique. And I don't want you telling me anything about that. If you speak to any preacher, I will go back to hear him again. Private life. Oh, we have a lot of that. My own private life. Now, if I want to make my hair do look like a man, that's none of your business. This is my private life. A preacher ever says anything about it, I'll never go back again. My own private life. You don't have any life. I can tell you now that what you call life is a perverted life and it has an end. The church don't need a faith lifting. It needs a death and birth. God condemned that spirit in the Garden of Eden. And a man's got to be born again and let Christ be Lord and ruler of his being. Certainly. But oh, you don't want Christ ruling with your private life. That just won't work. Then there's another little door. We'll hit him fast because we just got a few minutes. Another little door called selfishness. I'll let Christ in if what do we get out of it? Oh, such a motive. I'll let him in if if you'll promise me this, that I'll get to go to a better church than what I go to. If my standing in society will be a little bit better. How many people use that? How disgraceful it is to use that. Then there's another little door called prejudice. Oh, how people like to keep that back. They don't want God to open that door. Now, I'll tell you now. She did something to me. I won't speak to her on the street. No, sir. She comes out and hangs up her clothes every day, but I won't speak to the old reprobate. No, sir. Oh, my. The Lord will say, there is a preacher that lives down the street that you never spoke to. And you shunned him the other day when he was coming down the street. And you never spoke to him. Now, look here, Lord, don't you go to dealing with that. Because I'll tell you, he don't belong to my denomination. There is only one church. I've been in the Branham family for 48 years. And they never did ask me to join the family. I was born in the Branham family. And that's the way you become a Christian. You're born in the church of the living God. But you don't want no one. I'm a little prejudiced in my faith. You haven't got very much. <laughs> but just a little prejudice, you see. Because the people who come to my church dresses a little better than to do that mission down there. How they want to make fun of the little missions. Oh, that's that group that goes down there to the mission. Well, I see them people wearing the same clothes all the time. But they got clothes on that you can't see. By your natural eyes. Here some time ago, a young student was in a seminary. A poor old mammy thought that her child was going to be a minister. So she sent him over to a seminary. 
to learn how to be a preacher. Oh, and she was washing, and one day the old mother got the pneumonia. And so she sent a telegram to her son. The doctor said, if that both lungs are congested, and if you've got any of your loved ones, you better get them in. So the nurse sent for her son, said, stand by. If your mother's fever doesn't break by morning, you'll have to come. That's all the boy stood by, never did hear no more. In a few days, got a letter from his mother, said, I'm just fine, son. About a year later, the boy visited his home. And after he had kissed his mama when he come in, and he said, Mama, there's been one thing that I've always longed to ask you. Said, when you were so sick with that pneumonia, said, what happened? You told me to stand by and then I didn't hear from you for a week and then you were all right. What did the doctor give you? Said, he gave me up. <laughs> well, he said, how did you get well? She said, son, I got something to tell you. She said, do you know what that little old store used to be down there by the alley? Yes. Said there's a bunch of people moved in there, call themselves full gospel. And said they were down there having a prayer meeting one night, the night that I was so sick. And a message they said come to them and said there was a woman up here sick. One of the ladies come up and asked me if I believed in divine healing. I told her I believed anything that God had. And said, she said to her, well, our pastor prays for the sick. Would you like for him to come up? I'll have him to come. She said, certainly. So the pastor come up, she said, and anointed me with oil. And they all knelt around the bed and prayed for me. And she said, son, the next morning I was well. She said, God heal me. She said, oh, praise his name. The young fellow who'd had some of this embalming fluid placed into him. And he said, oh, mother. Why such a disgrace? Why said, you know better than that? She said, no, I don't, son. Said, why, that there's no such a thing as healing anymore. Said, we learned that in the cemetery. All the same. We learned that in the seminary. That there's no such thing as divine healing. Oh, she said, son, you're too late to tell me that. She said, I'm already well. And said, when I went to the doctor, and he was surprised too. And he said, well, said, did you change doctors? She said, yes. Said, well, what doctor did you use? She said, Dr. Jesus. So the doctor scratched his head and said, oh, is that right? What does he practice at? I don't believe I ever heard of it. <laughs> That's how far they're away. And he said, Mother, don't you never believe such stuff as that? Said, where did you think that preacher read from? Said, from Mark 16. These signs shall follow them that believe. Oh, she, he said, Mother, that's the illiterate bunch. Said, those preachers don't know very much. Said, they haven't got a college education. Now, said, we learned in the college that Mark 16 from the ninth verse on is not inspired. She said, Hallelujah! Oh, he said, Mother, you even act like them. Why, she said, Hallelujah! 
said, what's the matter with you, Mother? She said, I said, I was just thinking. Do you mean to tell me, my son, that that's what you've learned in these three years in college? That Mark 16 from the ninth chapter on is not inspired? She said, that's right. I said, Mother, that's authentic. Well, she said, praise God. She said, if God could heal me with uninspired scripture, what could he do with that really is inspired? <laughs> That's about the way of it. Naked. Yet you say you're rich. That little private part. That thing you don't want to degrade yourself to come down with somebody else. Come down off the high horse. Well, I'm telling you this. That this old time religion will make a, a tuxedo suit put his arms around a pair of overhauls and call it brother. It'll make a silk dress hug a calico and say sister. It certainly will. When God comes into the heart to be Lord, we're all on one level. Certainly. Oh, there's another little door that I'd like to let's look into. That's the door of faith. F-A-I-T-H. Oh, you claim you got faith. But you know, when Jesus becomes Lord of your faith, then all of his words become real to you. That's the reason people can't believe for divine healing. Yet they're members of the Christian church. They got Jesus at the door. But if he could stand in that little door of faith, he would be your faith. He will be Lord of your faith. And I could not imagine that the man who wrote the Bible turn around and deny the Bible. Deny his own right and still be God. Faith. They won't let the door open. Then there's one more little door before we close. And that's the door of your eyes. He said, you're blind and don't know it. I counsel of thee to buy for me eyesight. That thou mightest anoint thine eyes that you might see. If you could ever get your eyes open, then you'll look around and see what condition you're in. A certain preacher said to me some time ago, he said, I don't care what you say. I don't believe there's such a thing as divine healing. I said, not for you. It's not for unbelievers. It's just for those who believe. It wasn't made for you. He said, them that believe. Not for unbelievers. And he said, then strike me blind. I said, you're already blind. <laughs> he said, I mean like in the Bible. I said, that's what I'm talking about. I said, I'm going to say to you just exactly what my Lord said to your pappy. Get behind me. <laughs> right. He said, but... That man was physically blind when the Bible refers to it. I said when Elijah went down to Dothan. And all the next morning when Gehazi woke up, he said, My father, the whole Syrian army are got us all surrounded. That old prophet raised up and rubbed his eyes out of sleep. He said, What are you talking about? He said, Just look at the army. The whole city's besieged. The old prophet, just as calm as he could be, said, well, there's more with us than there is with them. Why, well, he said, I don't see anybody. Just you and I. 
And that old prophet stretched his hand out and said, God, open this young man's eyes. And when God opened his eyes, around that old prophet stood angels of fire and the mountains were on fire and spirits of fire. Then he said, you see how easy it is? I'm going out there and smite all them people blind. And he walked out. He smote them blind. He said, are you looking for Elijah? He said, yes, that's who we're looking for. It was blind. <laughs> What's that old man with the long whiskers? Tell us where Elijah is. So you want to find him? Yes, yeah, said, come on. And they all knew him, but they were blind. said, come on, follow me. I'll take you right where he's at. He know where the Israelite armies was laying in ambush. He just let them out in between. He said, now I'm alive. <laughs> Open up your eyes. <laughs> blind and don't know it. You know, that's what's the matter with the church. It's blind and don't know it. My grandpapa was a, an old hunter. And he used to trap and hunt raccoons. I bought a little tail one the other day in the ten cent store from a little Amish girl to take to my Joseph to put on his, his little bicycle. And grandpa would catch raccoons. And when he rendered out the fat, he'd make some sort of a grease out of it that Mama kept in a can. And we lived in an old house with clapboard shingles. You know what a clapboard shingle is? And we used to have to put a canvas over us at night when it snowed to keep the snow out of our face. You could just look at the stars right through them old clapboards. And we'd get bad cold, and it would settle in our eyes as little kids. And Mama, every morning... When she'd come to the bed and our eyes was all mattered up, she called it. Matter all in her eyes. It was cold in her eyes. She'd go down and get Grandpa's old coon grease. And she'd come up and rub our eyes and massage it with coon grease. And believe it or not, in a few minutes all the matter was out of her eyes. And we could see. Now you know what's the matter with the church? It's been so cold till it's got a spiritual cold. And it'll take more than coon grease to open your eyes. It'll take the oil of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection of Christ to take the coldness away from the church and open their eyes that they might see the presence of the Lord Jesus. Let him open your eyes. He's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, here tonight to grease up your eyes with God's salve. Open your eyes. You know what? American people are want to be entertained. They want some little Hollywood star with kinky hair and dressed up like I don't know what. They come out and make an entertainment. Because that's what you see on your television. I'm just one old-fashioned preacher that believes that there's no cure but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's right. I'm getting so sick and tired of this American Hollywood evangelism. Going across the country with diamond rings and short-haired women and uh, going across this, uh, carrying on and beating the drum somewhere and jumping up and down. It's a disgrace. We need the old-time St. Paul's revival and the Bible Holy Ghost back in the church. With some real good Holy Ghost salve to open people's eyes. That is the truth. Open our eyes. 
Then when the real thing comes along, people are so blind they can't see it. And God's been so merciful to us people that it's become common to us. God, in all of our coldness and difference, He still sends His mercy. Here some time ago, a man wanted to be inspired. And he went down to the sea to be inspired. And on his road down, he met an old salt coming back, an old sailor. He lived on the sea, born on the sea. And he said, My good man, where goest thou? He said, Sir, I'm going down to the sea to be inspired. Oh, I want to smell the salty air. I want to see the great ocean as it whips up its big white briny waves and see the reflection of the sky in its blue water. I want to hear the scream of the seagulls. Oh, I'm sure I'll be inspired when I get to the sea. I've longed to see it all my life. I've longed to see the sea. And the old salt said to him, Well, I was born, don't it? And I've sailed the seven seas. And I don't see nothing inspiring about it. Why? He was so used to it. That's what's the matter with the Pentecostal church and the rest of them today. You're so used to seeing the powers of God and the glory of God and the goodness of God so you just don't pay any attention to it no more. That's right. It becomes a common thing. That's the reason Africa, India, and those nations there who know something about it, just the first time God does anything, oh my, they go for the thousands to Christ. They've never seen it like we have. But our days are just about over, and it's leaving here now, going to those lands. Certainly it is. Down in Louisiana, not far from here, there was an old Negro down there by the name of Gabe. Now, we called him Gabe, but his, his right name was Gabriel. And he was a good old guy, but he just couldn't stay lined up with the church and with the Bible. His wife was a darling Christian. She prayed for old Gabe all the time. And the pastor was a good man, the colored pastor. And he was a nice man, full of the Spirit of God, had the Holy Ghost. And the pastor was a hunter, and so was Gabe. And they liked to hunt together. But old Gabe was such a poor shot, he couldn't hit nothing. So one day the pastor and old Gabe went hunting. And that day, while they were hunting, oh, they killed so much game. So when they started back that night, they were just loaded down with birds and rabbits and all kinds of game. And the sun was going down, setting in the west. And they were coming up a little old familiar path. And the pastor walking in front just barely could walk. Old Gabe walking in the back, loaded down with game. And after a while, the pastor felt his big hand laying on his shoulder. He said, Parson. And the pastor stopped. Old Gabe looked over towards the sun and then looked back. And the pastor saw tears running down his And he said, what's the matter, Gabe? He said, Pastor, this is Saturday. In the morning, you're going to feed this man down at the Mona's bench. Then I was coming up in that Mona's bench. I'm going to get me a seat in that church for the side of my sainted wife. Then I'll be a member until I die. The pastor stopped a minute. 
And he said, Gabe, you know I'm glad to hear that. Well, I said, how much I prayed for you and how the church has prayed for you. How we tucked you and done good things for you. You sat in the church and heard my ministry. You... That's the reason the messages are so strong and right straight to the point. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him. Oh, if the goodness God has been to you. How the Lord God comes here night after night, showing himself alive by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, performing and doing the same works that he did before he left this world. Back now in the form of the Holy Spirit, doing the same works across America, and the people have set in, keep chewing gum, and say, yep, that's pretty good, Billy Brennan. <laughs> that's just the appreciation. Oh, yes. Oh, you follow us out to your heart, we'll wait and see old Robert. If he gets at this, we'll go to Billy Graham. Just entertain! You don't know how good he is to you. You don't have to do these things. He don't have to make his appearance. The reason he's doing it because he promised he would do it. And he's good and full of mercy. No matter how you treat him, he'll come right back to the door and knock again. Oh, let him come tonight. Let him knock at our heart's door tonight one more time. Then let us open up our hearts and say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I now believe. Let us bow our heads just a moment. Solemnly now I wonder in this deep time of prayer, I just wonder if God would just knock at someone's heart just now. I want to see it just before I leave your fair city. I may not get to see you again in life. I'm fixing to go to Africa now and out around the world. But I, I, I just wonder while I'm here, as your brother, I just wonder if God's knocked at your heart any time during this meeting. The same child of mine, let me come into your room. Let, let me enter in at the door, and then just, if I've already come in, then let me have access. Let me take over all that indifference, that pride. Let me take over that private life. Let me stand in the door of your face. And if you can't understand these things and you think they're too mysterious, you say, well, I don't know, Brother Benham, whether that would be right or not. Let God anoint your eyes tonight with his eyesight. Won't you do it? While we have our heads bowed, how many will raise up your hands and say to God, by this, I want you to anoint my eyes, Lord. I want to see the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God bless you, ladies, sitting there snubbing, crying. Serving. God bless you, ladies, yes, sitting there wiping your eyes. Someone else, raise up the hand and say, God, be merciful to me. God bless you, young lady back here. God bless you over here, sir. You little man here, you lady, you, you. You back there, way back, yes, God bless you. Oh, I stand at, God bless you up there in the balcony. I stand at the door, and not, God bless you, young man, sitting down here just at the crossroads of life. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will come, open the door, I'll come in, and I'll sup with him, sit down at the table. I'll just make all of my mysteries known to him. Oh, if God could only get us in, like he did Theophis and them, who'd walk with him all day. He'd taught him and preach to him. 
all day and still they didn't know who he was. Then when he got on the inside like he's got you now, closed in, then he revealed himself. Their eyes were open. Well, they'd looked all day long. They'd looked right in his face, but they didn't know him. And their eyes were open, and they said they knew it was the Lord. He quickly, he had vanished from their sight. Right back they went saying, truly, the Lord Jesus is raised from the dead. Do you want your eyes open to see this is the last day? To see this is the end of the age? God's dealing with the Gentiles now. This will be the last go-around. Next thing is judgment. God bless you, young man, sitting there just in the prime of life, teenager. You're taking the best road that you ever touched, son. Mom and Daddy will sure be glad of you. Be proud to know that their son raised his hand and accepted Christ. One of these days when that cross is freezing out, death coming up your sleeve, you're getting cold, all your friends standing around now and can do nothing for you, man. Maybe in an automobile accident, bleeding to death. Under a car, a fire burning you up. Drowned in the water, something killing you. You'll remember, I put up my hand one night to Jesus. That's the most gallant thing you ever did. Someone else, just before closing. Someone else, God bless you. Someone back there, God bless you, young lady. God bless you, young man. Just try to put your hand right up. God bless you up there about, yes, lady, yes, God be with you. Back in here, God bless you, young man. God bless you, sir. God bless you over here. Back in this way. Any back in here? Out in the balconies, out, uh, not in the balcony, I mean the vestibule. God bless you. He sees your hand. Even if you're behind the doors there, and I can't see that one little window, he sees your hand. Now let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how great thou art. You stood at the door here tonight, and some 50 people or more, maybe 75, raised their hands to receive you, knowing that you knocked at the door. It's written in the Word by our Lord. No man can come to me except my Father draws him first. All that comes to me, I will know I pass out. Lord, they are the fruits of the message. Jesus standing at the heart's door. The revival of my part here is closing for this session. God, I'm so glad they raised their hands. Now, I give them to you just now. And I'm praying, God, that the great Holy Spirit will let them go to one of these churches here somewhere, a good church that teaches the Bible, any church of their choice, and speak to their pastor and say, Pastor, I was down to the meeting the other night. I raised my hand to Christ. Won't you baptize me now into Christian faith? I want to walk a straight, narrow road and be a credit to my neighborhood and to all that I'm in contact with and serve God for I love Him. Oh, God, that pastor, he'll be happy for that. And he'll take care of your child, I believe, Lord. Like the good Samaritan who took him to the inn and said, All right, if you like anything, I'll pay you when I come. God grant it. In Jesus' name, I present them to thee. Amen. I just hate to leave the meeting. I told them tonight before leaving, I said, there's something about this meeting that just gripped my heart. I think there's some here I won't see no more. If I come back a year from now, 
Uh, you won't be here, some of us. I may not be here a year from now. Some of us will be gone. My testimony will have to stand in the judgment with it then before you all. What good would it be doing me to give a wrong testimony? I'd rather be at home tonight with my little Joseph playing with him. Down at my church, just standing there preaching. How many is in the building? The first time you've ever been in one of my meetings, I see your hand. Oh, you know, it's a good thing that the crowd from the following night never gets you. It's claimed they turned several thousand away last night. If they all come at one time, we'd have to have a big tent somewhere. Never been in one of my meetings before. Now, friends, I, I don't claim to be a healer. Now, I want to say one thing before this. Each one of you dear people that raised up your hands, go see a good pastor right away. Will you promise me that we haven't got room here to bring people up for an altar call? But promise. The only thing you have to do, I, I believe in the altar, certainly. I believe in that. But you remember in the Bible, it said as many as believed was added to the church. See? I'll thank you all. A person stood for them to come forward and pray and thank God and stand up as a public testimony. I believe in that. All my heart. But we have a room here to do it. Now, you promised God that you believe. I took your word. He did too. So now, you go to some church and shake your hand, uh, shake the hand of the pastor telling you you want to become a member of his church and be baptized. Now, just a few moments before we start the prayer line, which we actually started on time. We got 12 minutes, but we won't take it all. I just want to say to the newcomer, now, I do not claim to be a divine healer. Can you hear me all right? I do not believe there's any man in the world that's a divine healer. I believe that God is the only one can heal. How many knows that Jesus Christ never claimed to be a healer? Is that right? Certainly. He said, It's not me that doeth the works, it's my Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works, and the Son can do nothing in himself but what he sees the Father doing. Is that right? Then Jesus never did one thing according to his own word, in the way of healing the sick or anything, until the Father showed him first by a miracle, by a vision, what was going to take place. That's his own word. He couldn't lie. That's St. John 5, 19. Verily, verily, the word means absolutely, absolutely. I say unto thee, the Son can do nothing in himself but what he sees the Father doing. That doeth the Son likewise. Now, that's inspired. God's own word. Then look what did he do. How did he declare himself now to the nation? What was the first thing he done in the way of a miracle, as we understand, that the people could see? He prayed for sick, laid his hands on them. But a miracle. There was a man by the name... Uh, Peter, he called him Peter lately, his, uh, later, his name was Simon. And he was an old fisherman. And his brother Andrew brought him up to Jesus. Now listen to for just a minute. You missed the colonel. And he brought him up to Jesus. And when he came in the presence of Jesus, Jesus said, Your name is Simon. But you'll be called Cephas. And said, You're the son of Jonas. How many know that? That was a Jew that a miracle was done on. He finally ended up having the keys of the kingdom in his hand. A man that couldn't even read his own name. The Bible said that Peter was ignorant and unlearned. Right? Not a student. An ignorant and unlearned fisherman. Now, then what happened? 
There was a fellow from his city by the name of Philip. He got saved too. And he was so enthused, so he went around the mountain about 30 miles and found his friend by the name of Nathaniel. That's a good sign he got saved. You want to tell somebody about it. And he found Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was under a tree praying. And he said, Come see who we found, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now this staunch Hebrew, brushing off his clothes, he said, Now wait a minute, Philip. Could there be any good thing come out of that city? Or that group, that holy rollers, or whatever you want to call them? Could anything good come out of there? And he'd give you the best answer any man could. He said, Come see. You be the judge. When our long on the road coming around, he told him what he'd done to Peter, so forth. It's 30 miles, so they had plenty of time to talk, a good day's journey. And when they come up in the prayer line where Jesus was, now watch what Jesus done. Now there comes a real staunch Hebrew. Don't miss it now. When he come in the presence of the Son of God, Jesus looked at him and said, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. That's St. John 1. How many knows that you newcomers? And he looked at him and said, Rabbi, when did you know me? Little wife, you never seen me? But my dress, you would know I could have been a Greek. I could have been an Arab. And I could have been a dishonest man. But you tell me that I'm a, an orthodox, a real true Israelite, and I'm honest and upright. How did you know me? You've never seen me. Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the tree, I saw you. That right? I may know that. Now watch the attitude of this Jew. I mean a real elected Jew. I want to ask you people something. How many believe in election? You mean to tell me you don't believe in election? I know i got to come teach just a little bit. <laughs> election. No man can come to me except my father draws him. In the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, the Bible said that God predestinated us to be the adoption of the children of God through Jesus Christ. Predestined by foreknowledge. God knew everybody would be saved before even the world was created. Jesus never comes to the earth to die and be pitiful and say, somebody will take mercy on me and say, well, he died, I guess I'll come. I wouldn't run my office like that and you wouldn't either. How about God? God sent Jesus, Sheriff, to call those who by foreknowledge he knew would come. Certainly he did. God, if he was an infant, he didn't know, but if he was an infant, he knew would ever fly, ever flee, everything else would ever be on the earth. If he's infant, God, how many breeds he's infant? Tell me what infant means. There wasn't one thing that ever was on the earth but what he knew it before the world was created. He said so. Then he knows he's not willing that any should perish. But his foreknowledge let him know who would perish and who wouldn't. That's the reason when Paul spoke of it in Corinthians there, or Romans, he said before either child was born, Esau and Jacob, both with good holy parents, God said, I hate Esau and love Jacob. That his election might stand true. How many ever read that? And you can't read his election? He knows just exactly what would happen. Certainly. He's not willing 
But his foreknowledge lets him know. He don't just say, I'm going to save this and lose that one. He wants you all saved, but his foreknowledge knows who would, so therefore he could predestinate according to foreknowledge. And that's selection. Jesus come, the last ones to be saved will be saved in the church of the home. Now, when Philip come up and got Nathaniel, and Nathaniel come up and seen Jesus, and Jesus told him where he was before he comes, watch what that Jew said. Now, that's a real Jew. It's been elected to eternal life. He said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. But now there stood a lot of scholars around. And what did they say? They said he's Beelzebub. He's a fortune teller. How many knows that he was a Beelzebub? See, they knew. He thought it was reading that man's mind. He is Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. Jesus said, I'll forgive you for that, but when the Holy Ghost has come and does it, one word against it will never be forgiven in this world or the world to come. How many knows that? What was he doing? That's the way he made himself known to the Jews, by doing that. How did he make himself known to the Samaritans? Now, there's only three nationalities of people. That's Jew, Gentile, and Samaritan. Ham, Sham, and Jesus' people. We know that. We come from the sons of Noah. Now, notice... Then when he made himself known to the Samaritans, he sent the disciples away. And he was sitting on this stone because the Father had told him to go up there. He had need to go by Samaria. Instead of going straight down to Jericho, he went around the mountain to Samaria. And he sat there and a woman came out. We believe her to be a prostitute. She had six husbands. And when she came out, she went to let the kettle down to get the water. And when she did, Jesus said, Woman, bring me a drink. And she said, we got segregation. It's not customary for Jews to have any dealing with Samaritans. We have a law of segregation here. And he said, but if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink. What did he do? He went to talk to her about worshiping the mountain at Jerusalem. He carried the conversation with the woman until he called her spirit. He said, go get your husband and come here. She said, I don't have any husband. Watch, not a Jew, a Samaritan. And she said, I don't have any husband. He said, you said, right, you've got five, and the one you're living with now is not yours. Now watch what she said. Did she say, he's a fortune teller? She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And we know, what? We know, Samaritans, that when the Messiah cometh, he will tell us these things. But who are you? He said, I'm he that speaks to you. And she ran into the city and said, Come see a man that told me the things of God. Isn't this the Messiah? Now watch. He forbid, he never did that miracle one time to a Gentile. And he told his disciples not to go in the way of the Gentiles. How many knows that? And it's never been done from that day to this. But this is the end of the Gentiles. And the way God acts on the first occasion... If the circumstances arise and that same thing arises again, God's got to act the same way you get there or he acted wrong. If he ever healed a sick man because he was sick, he's got to act the same way when he's called on the scene or he did wrong when he healed that man. He's a respected person. If that's the way he manifested himself to the Jew, the true Jew believed it, the other didn't believe it, that's the way he manifests himself to the Samaritan, he's got to do the same thing to the Gentile if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He promised he would do it. Run back to the 
your scholars, go back through your history and find if it's ever been done from that day to this. This is the day. This is the last trip to America. After mercy has been spurned, judgment's left. Now, friends, remember this. Don't you forget it. Read your scriptures. A woman touched his garment. For she said in her heart, if I can touch him, I'll be made well. Jesus is passing by and everybody hugging him or shaking hands or whatever it was. And that woman touched his garment. She didn't feel it physically because the Palestinian garment's loose. And she just touched the body of his garment and went back and sat down. Or stood up or whatever she, she got away from him. Jesus turned and said, who touched me? And the woman said, not me. All of them said, not me. But Jesus said, I got weak. Virtue went out of me. Peter said, well, the whole group that touched me said, but I'm weak. Then he looked around until he found the woman. And he said, thy faith has healed thee. Now, that was Jesus yesterday. And the Bible said that he's the high priest right now that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Is that right? Did he say this before he left? The works that I do shall you also. Did he say that? How many knows that say amen? How many knows that he said a little while in the world, that Greek word cosmos would mean the world order, that the world won't see me no more, yet ye shall see me, for I will be with you to the end of the world. How many knows that? Jesus Christ is saying, yes, if he is the same, he's got to declare himself the same. Look what he says. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now, the vine doesn't bear fruit. The branch bears fruit. And the kind of fruit it bears is the kind of fruit, the life that's given out of the vine. If it's a pumpkin, as I've said, it'll bear pumpkins. If it's a sinful vine you're hooked into, it'll bear sin. If it's a church vine, it'll bear church anarchy. If it's Christ, it'll bear the works of Christ. God said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And now he only has hands, mine and yours, eyes, mine and yours. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And let me say this as I'm leaving tonight. This is America's hour. And she spurned it. I said two years ago that America would never have a revival. Write it in your book and find out if it's right or not. She's done. If God lets America get by with this sinful, unbelieving, church-going bunch of hypocrites, he'll have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to him for sinking. Right, to be just. That's right. Even though angels smote them blind, they were in the darkness, stealing around a perverted spirit. And tonight, America stands in the same shape. Nothing left but fire. I want you to know is what was that angel's message? You come try to get him out of there? I want to give you just a little on the side now, just a minute. When the angel come to Abraham, Sarah was back in the tent. How many knows that? And the angel had his back turned to the tent. How many knows that? The Bible said so. And the angel, which was Christ, we know that was Christ. He was called Elohim, which is the Almighty God, in the form of a man. He stood there. And when he was, he was looking at Abraham. He said, according to the time of life, I'm going to visit you. And Sarah, back in the tent, laughed, back behind his back. 
He said, why did Sarah laugh? What was it? It was the angel's message to Sodom before it burned up. And we're going to get the fire. And before the fire falls, that same angel with the same signs and wonders touch his garment to find out. And you see it's an angel or a last warning to the church. How many understands that now? To make it plain to you. The same angel has to do the same thing. There he is, the same Christ. He was the one who was with Abraham. Here he is tonight doing the same thing, and America just sets still. Sure, it can't be nothing else. It has to be that way. But there's some eagles. Open your eyes now. God anoint your eyes. And if Christ will do the same thing from this platform tonight that he did when he walked in Galilee, what if, if you'd go home like the old business and then out of our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along the road? Would you believe that? God bless you. Let's pray. Now, Lord, I did all that I know how. I commit the rest of the service to you. Now, anoint your people there, Lord. This is a lovely group of people. And, Lord, the reason I tried to be so stern with them, not that I thought they deserved to be stern, but I'm only warning, Lord. Only warning. And I pray that you let them understand that. That I'm only setting out a warning there and letting them know that this is America's hour, last hour. Hurry, said Lot, or the angel said to Lot, Get out, come quickly. I can't do nothing until you come out first. And that's the angel's warning today, the same angel doing the same works, proving that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, grant it, Lord, knock at their heart, open their eyes, and may they see thee tonight, for I ask it in Christ's name, amen. I've got these handkerchiefs here. Now, in the Bible, it said that Many of you say in your anoint my handkerchief, that's all right. Anything God will bless, I'm for it. But if you'll bear me record, in Acts 19, they didn't anoint handkerchiefs. They took from the body of Paul handkerchief. You know, I think Paul was very fundamental, don't you think so? You know what I think he got that? When the woman, the Shunammite woman, that he gave Gehazi his staff and said, take this staff and lay it on the baby. Gehazi knows that what he touched was blessed if the woman would believe the same thing. And the people believed Paul. They seen the Lord working with him, and they believed. So they took handkerchiefs and aprons off of him, his body and went to the sick and afflicted, and they were healed. Now, if you haven't got one here and you want one, just send down to my office at Jeffersonville. It'll be sent to you absolutely free and poor state. We get, send thousands of them a month around the world. Oh, such testimonies. Now let's pray for these handkerchiefs before we Lord God, in the Bible it's written, that when Israel was cornered off, trying to follow your instructions, and they were at the Red Sea, and the mountains and deserts was on either side, and Pharaoh's army backed them up. Here they was coming in for sudden death. And one writer has said that the eyes of the Lord looked down through that pillar of fire, and the Red Sea got scared, and it walled up, and Israel went across on dry land to the Promised Land. 
Now, Lord God, as I send these handkerchiefs as token of people's faith, may the eyes of God look down to the blood of Jesus, His Son. And when they see this little token laid up on the sick and afflicted, may the devil, the sickness, depart, and may the first patient pass over into that promised land of good health. Grant it, Lord. I send them in Jesus' name for this purpose. Amen. All right. Prayer cards. Why? One to a hundred. Why one to a hundred? Well, we've been all around everywhere through them, so let's just start from number one. When you take lines, it gets a very few at a time, so I just have to call you one by time until you're getting up to fill this little aisle up here, and then we'll start. All right. I want every person to keep your seat to be just as reverent as you can be. Just as reverent as you know how to be. Let's fill it We've just got about 18 minutes. Why, number one, would you hold up your hands? It's a little card, just about like this. Boys, come down, mix them all up together, give anybody a card that wants one like that. Then that night we call from somewhere. Bring it to, that's just merely to get the people up here. Then you start believing. How many here doesn't have a prayer card? Let's see your hand. You want God to hear you. I challenge your faith to look to him who is the high priest and say, Lord God, if that man told me the truth, I ain't got no prayer card, but let him turn around and tell me the same thing like you did back there. I'll never doubt it no more. You do that and see what happens. Last night we had the prayer line and we wouldn't take anybody that had prayer cards. How many of you here last night told that this stuff goes without prayer cards? It's the same. Only thing just to keep, just let somebody come up here, it doesn't matter who comes. But this is keeps it all in order. There's no, like an arena filing over one another. We've seen people getting fights over who'd get up there first. So we had to give them cards and keep them lined up. Why, number one, raise up your hand, please. Ever who has a prayer card, why? Is that right? Or B, did you say? B. B. Maybe it's B, number one, then. Who has B, number one? Has everybody got prayer card B? Raise up your hand. Like in victory? Oh, yes, sure they are. All right. It's B. Let's start from D, number one, then. Who has it? B, number one? All right. Right here. All right, sir. B, number two? B, number two, would you raise up your hand? Who has it? Please, or somebody back there. Is that the lady right there, sister? B, number two? All right, come here, will you? B, number three? They're just all over the building now. They just give them out to you. We're in the building. B number three, hold up your hand, wave it like this so we can, back here, thank you, sister, come here just a minute. Well, line up right here now. B number three, number four, who has number four? All right, lady, come right here. Number five, look at your neighbor's card, might be death, might be it can't raise up. Number five, B number six, would you raise your hand, please? Right here, number seven, would you raise your hand? Right here, all right, number eight, would you raise your hand? B number eight. Number eight, would you raise your hand, please? V, number eight. Uh, back there, thank you. All right, number nine. Number nine. V, number nine. Would you raise your hand? All right, number ten. That's good. Come out ahead now. Number ten. Would you raise your hand quickly? Ten. Eleven. All right, twelve. Twelve. Did I see it? You missed your turn. Twelve, all right. Thirteen. Fourteen. 
15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That doesn't matter. I don't care if anybody else, if they want to stand, I can keep on calling. You want me to call a few more and just say so? <laughs> doesn't matter. Just don't want you to stand too long. 20, 21, 2, 3, 7. We probably born miles apart, years apart, and this is the first time that we've ever met in life. Now, if God will reveal to this man Jesus Christ, just like he did when Philip went and got Nathaniel in broad. What did Jesus say? Behold an Israelite in whom there is no God, an honest, just Christian believer, in other words. So when did you know me, Rabbi? I said, before Philip called you, when you were under the tree, I saw you. Quickly, he said, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. But the Pharisee said, he's a devil. Now, if it's done, it'll have to come with some kind of a supernatural power. We got two Bibles laying here before us. And both of us with our hands up, this is the first time we've ever met. Now, it depends on what you think it is. If you think like the Pharisee, you get their reward. If you think like Nathaniel, you get his reward. You get God's reward if you think it's God. This are the seven forever. Now, let's, I don't say that he'll do it. I believe he will. I'm trusting he's never failed me yet. And this is about 12 years. I saw visions since I was about 18 months old. First vision I ever saw, I told my mother where we lived. And near New Albany, Indiana, which was hundreds of miles away. We've lived there all my life. You all just see this right here on the platform. This is all you know. Ask the associates, Dr. Vail, and these you go with us and watch the great vision. This is what you're doing. This is your own faith pulling towards the gift of God. That's what that woman done. Jesus didn't know nothing about her, but she pulled God's power out of him by her faith. That's the only thing that's taking place here. But when God told Jesus to go away and wait for Lazarus to die and come back, he raised the dead. Did he ever said he got weak? God just lifted him up because this is where it's going to be and this is what's taking place. And he didn't get weak from that. But when a woman touched his garment, she was using God's gift. I'll be real reverent at praise and watch now. Now, sir, this may be the last time on earth that we meet. And here we are for the first time on earth. I trust that we'll meet many times. But if the Lord God will come now, and remember I'm telling you, and you know it to be the truth, I know nothing of you. But if the Lord God will reveal to me Something that you know whether it's the truth or not. Now, if I said, sir, you're sick, you might not be. I don't know. That would be a guess, maybe. Still, it could be true. Now, you, now, I'd say, you're going to get well. You still have to take my word for it. But if God would tell me something that you know whether it's the truth or not, then you'd know whether that was God or not, wouldn't you? That would be God. The only way it could be. Now believe. Now if the audience can hear my voice, and you who've seen the picture of the angel of the Lord, his presence is here. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I take every spirit you're under my control. 
for the glory of God and the manifestation of His Son, who is now present. A man is suffering with a nervous condition that he wants me to pray for. That's just saith the Lord. That's right, isn't it, sir? Raise up your hand if that's right. That wasn't a guess. That wasn't my voice. It was something else. Do you believe it was his? Now look, more I would talk to the man, more would be said. Would you like, would that confirm anything to you if you just talk a little more to him? I can't tell you what I said. Only way I know it's for these tapes. See, it's a vision. I've seen the man doing something. I couldn't tell you what it is. Let's talk to him just a little bit. He seems to be a man that believes. Now let's talk to him. Let him be the judge. Now the man's standing with his eyes closed. And you all see it. He never opened his eyes to look towards him. Yes, I see the man. He's kind of upset about something. He's suffering with a nervous condition. That's his trouble. And besides that, what makes him upset, he's got one of his loved ones that's at the point of death, going to die. And that's a younger fellow. Or it's his son. And that boy is in a terrible condition. He has something wrong with his lungs. It's cancer in his lungs. That's right. And this man before me is a preacher. And he doesn't come from this city. He's from another place around coming across mountains or something. He's from a place called Charleston, West Virginia. Come here and answer to be prayed for for his dying loved one. That's thus saith the Spirit. Do you believe you receive what you've asked for, sir? Go home and find it that way. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Now you out there that doesn't have prayer cards, you, if you're not going to be in this line, you start looking this way and saying, Lord, I believe too. Everywhere, anywhere in the building. I suppose we're strangers to each other, ladies. We are. First time meeting, as far as I know. But the Lord God, who made heavens and earth, stands here to be our witness. If he will reveal to me, now here's a picture like the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. See, it's a man and a woman meeting for the first time. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then if he'll reveal to me something that you know, whether it's truth or not, would you believe that it's him speaking to your brother? You are a Christian believer. Because your spirit is welcome. I know you're a Christian. The woman is suffering with a tremendous nervousness and a weakness. This weakness was caused from an, an operation. And that operation was in the female gland. And she still got a drainage from that operation. 
That's true. Raise your hands for that. Well, it, it's over, sister. You're going to be well, so your faith is healed. So you can go home now and be well and glorify God. Amen. Would you come? Be reverent now. Just be in prayer. I suppose we're strangers to each other. This is our first time meeting? You've been here at the meeting, here to this meeting, but I don't know you. No. All right. Then if the Lord our God will speak and reveal the secret of your heart or something, whether you know that it's the truth or not, you will you'll know whether that's all right. Preacher, you've got a bladder trouble and a gland trouble. You were studying that praying. It's all over now. You can go home. You sit right there with a red-looking shirt on the stripe of time. It's all over. Your faith made you well. What did he touch? I don't know the man. I've never seen him. Are we strangers to one another, mister? Is, is God anointing your eyes with sad? Can you, are they coming open? Can you realize that your brother here has nothing to do with that? It's a gift that you just yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. God knows. This lady standing here, and her trouble is in her back. He said that was kidney stones, the doctor's son. You believe that you'll get well? Not only that, but you just had a fall. And you broke some ribs. Now your life you couldn't hide. To heal you, I can't. You're not from the city. You live near a city called Elton. Gracie? You can return and go home and be well. God make you well. If thou canst believe. Young lady, do you believe? I'm a stranger to you, but God knows you. You believe you're in his presence? Your brother would make you feel like that. Now, people are watching what's real believers when they come to the platform. What's the expression on their face? See, to me, I see that light that you see in the picture. It's right around the woman. I want to ask you something, young lady. You feel, you know that the presence of your brother would make you feel like that. But isn't there a real sweet, humble, meek feeling around you now? If that is, raise up your hand for it. See, I'm looking right at that light moving around the lady. The lady is standing here for someone else. That's right. Your daughter. If God will tell me what's wrong with your daughter, will you believe? It's a skin disease. Now go home and lay those hands that she got up. Lay them on her. She'll get well. She's going to come out of it. Don't worry. God bless you. Go believe me. If thou canst believe. We're strangers to each other, I suppose. 
But the Lord God knows us both. Do you believe that he's able to do this? You come from out of town, too. About 50 miles away, something. You have hemorrhoids. You have an hernia. And you've got a fallen bladder that you want God to heal. Do you believe that what's talking to you? No, I just read. Go and you may If thou canst believe, we are strangers to each other, I suppose, are we? You see me once before this, but you know I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are, certainly not. But God does. If you'll tell me who you are, then you'll believe me. You believe your arthritis will be all right? If he does, yes. all right. May God grant it, is my prayer. Your last name is Walton, and your first name is Liddy. Now you turn right around and go home, and you go back to Richmond, Virginia, and tell the people how good God's been doing. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. Are you believing? Something struck that woman right back there just then because the light went from the woman to that woman. And I see the same city arising. She's from Richmond, Virginia, sitting way back there. And you're praying for your son. And that son's in a motel. And that son has heart trouble. Take him back to Richmond. You'll be well. you believe it with all your heart. Who did she touch? What happened to her? She touched the high priest. Certainly, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. I see a woman that's wiping her eyes. She's somewhere praying. I trust that she's here. She's not from this city. She's from a city called Chester. She has eye trouble. Her name is Lillian Bush. Go home and be well. Jesus Christ heals you. You believe? Amen. Have faith in God. Oh, how glorious. Do you believe, lady? I don't know you, but God does know you. You're not here for yourself. You are here for someone else. And that's two people. And they live near somewhere where the ocean or a great street it is. It's the Atlantic Ocean. 
there in a city called Norfolk, Virginia. If God will reveal to me what is wrong with those people, will you believe me to be his servant and believe that he'll grant you the request? One of them has tumor on the lung. The other has cancer on the brain. And the one with cancer on the brain has been operated on. That's thus saith the Lord. You believe? It will be just as you have believed it. Go and God be with you. Are you believing? Now, bring the next person. How many believe now with all your heart? Look, every once in a while I get a little pull from somewhere here that don't think you could hide your life now. You couldn't do it. You think it's telepathy. It's not telepathy, friend. No. Anybody that's got the right mind and knows one ounce about telepathy knows better. Here, this lady, I don't know her. Touch my hand, lady. If God will reveal this way what your trouble is, will you believe him? You be the judge. I'll look this way won't look towards you. The lady's suffering with a female trouble. That's right. Take your hand off mine and raise it up if that piece right. Now go back, you're an idiot. Now go ahead if he doesn't. Stop them Just have faith. You say that was a guesswork. No, it isn't. Come here, lady. Touch my hand. If God will tell me what your trouble is, will you believe me to be his servant? Yes. Then you go eat your supper. Your stomach trouble is left. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. What if I didn't say nothing to you? Just laid my hand on you. Did you believe you'd get well? Then in the name of the Lord Jesus, God grant it. Amen. Have faith. All right, come, sir. What if I told you to go right on back and eat your supper, too? That peptic ulcer from nervousness you've been having is gone. Would you believe me? Go right on around. Would you believe your diabetes is going to leave you to be well? Go right on around Do you believe that arthritis is going to leave you and you're going to be all right? If you do, and want to believe with all your heart, just go right down that step and praise God as you go along. It'll leave you and you'll be all right. Let's say thank the Lord. You have a flutter in your heart, but it really isn't heart trouble, it's stomach trouble that makes it do that. you believe that God's going to make you well? Go right on your road home and say thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you believe God's going to heal you that back trouble? Go right on off the platform and say thank you, dear God. Oh, do you believe the whole group of you? You believe that Jesus Christ makes you welcome? Go right off the platform saying, thank you, dear God. Leave her, stay there just a minute. Pull around, she's got arthritis. Go right around that way praising God, lady, and say, thank the Lord. Yes, right, get well and go home. Say, praise the Lord. Now, go on, you'll get all right. You had the same thing, sir, so you just go around with her right like that, just praising God, saying the arthritis is gone. Heart trouble, you're mighty young to have that. Go off the platform, it's left you now. Let's say praise the Lord. Do you believe? Praise the Lord. Just a minute. The lady sitting out here on the end with that bladder trouble. Do you believe God makes you well? That's straight down into here. you believe that God heals you? If you do, go home. you got your hands up your mouth. Be well. Hallelujah. Right out here at the end of the road. 
I see you've got nerve trouble and sinus trouble. You believe God heals you? The third person back there. You believe with all your heart sitting back there at the end of his feet. If you believe, you can be made well and go home. God bless you. Do you believe Jesus Christ lives? Do you believe that I'll tell you the truth? Then if I be his servant, I've found grace in your sight. Jesus Christ has healed every one of you. Nineteen hundred years ago, he's done it. The only thing you have to do is raise up and receive it. Do you believe it? Now, if you believe I'll pray for every one of you, you believe you'll get well? You do? All right, bow your head just a minute. I want you to say these same words that I do from your heart. Almighty God, creator of heavens and earth, author of everlasting life, giver of every good gift, I, your servant, confess my sins. I promise to be your servant, true and faithful, from this day in. I now believe that we're living in the last days. I believe that Jesus Christ has sent his angels to the earth as he has at every junction. Like in the days of Noah, like in the days of delivering the children of Israel, and the Lord Jesus himself, and in the last days, I now confess all my unbelief. I believe that you freely paid my debt for my sins, for my sickness. I accept you as my Savior, and I accept you as my healer. From this night on, by God's help, I'm going to testify to the glory of God of my healing. I believe that the devil has no power over me anymore because of the grace of Christ that's here tonight. I now believe that I am healed. Now you sit like white. Keep your heads bowed. That's your prayer. Did you mean it? Say amen twice. Now, just imagine the great Holy Spirit as I look settling down over you. The same one that's standing here. And if you'll take my word, people are being healed everywhere. Just around over the building now. I am not a hypocrite. I'm not a deceiver. I'm a servant of Christ. God's proved that to you. You're being healed right now. Now, I'm going to pray for you that you won't disbelieve anymore. What does the Bible say? Go ye and sin no more. What is sin? Unbelief. Go ye and disbelieve no more. Almighty God, creator of heavens and earth, author of everlasting life and giver of every good gift, you've heard the confession of these people. Lord God, from the depths of my poor heart, I have told them the truth. I have told them that you healed them when you died at Calvary 1900 years ago. Thou bear me record of this truth, Lord. And you keep every promise. Everything that you promised, you keep. And if you kept your promise to appear in our presence, wherever two or three are gathered together, if you kept your promise as a high priest that could be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, how much more could you do? There's nothing left. It's for the people now. Truly, I believe, Lord, as their brother, 
I have heard them confess with their lips, you have too, Lord, that they believe and they have accepted you as their healer and savior. And now, Lord, there's only one thing left to keep them from being perfectly whole. That is unbelief. That's Satan trying to hold them. Saying, I wasn't in the line. What difference does the line make? You was in line. That's the only one that makes the difference. The one who made a line of blood all the way from Pilate's judgment hall to Golgotha. That's the line that we stand in, the bloodline of the Lord Jesus. And now, God, give me faith. Give me power. And hear my prayer, Lord, as I pray. And defeat the devil for these people. Satan, you are nothing but a deceiver. You have no legal rights to hold any Christian any longer. In their prayer, they confess their sins. They are not your property anymore. They are God's property, Jehovah. He sent his son. He died. Yeah, he rose again. And he's here right now to prove himself to his children, his heritage, that he's alive. And you can't hold him any longer. I adjure thee, thou devil of doubt, that's holding these people. I adjure thee in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that you come out of this people and let them go. Come out, Satan. You've lost the battle. You're exposed night after night. You're, you're nothing but a lying, deceiving devil. And we challenge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of this people so they can be made well. All that believe now that you're healed, stand to your feet and let out a scream and give God praise. God bless you as you say. That's the way to do it.